I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when they saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell on, down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So I've kind of thought through the passages uh, this week, uh, different themes that we have going on. I, it should definitely be apparent to us that if there is anyone, if there is someone that should be thankful, it's the child of God. There is, uh, when you think of thankfulness, you see a world, whether it be at your schools or at your, your employment, your community, wherever it may be, even in your own family, but so many times we see really the opposite of thankfulness, and that's ingratitude, unthankfulness. And what that usually breeds is an abundance of rebellion when we are unthankful. But like I said, if there is anyone that should be thankful, it's the child of God. And I pray today that you have a thankful heart. When we think about Thanksgiving, we think well, maybe one of our favorite songs is Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It was Daniel Webster who said this, If you want to feel rich, just count the things that you have that money cannot buy. That's true, so true. If you want to feel rich, just count the things you have that money cannot buy. And that's where riches really lie in, don't we? We thank God for his many blessings. And for that, we should be eternally grateful. But as we think about this story here, we think about a familiar passage, I believe to most of us here, of a miracle of Jesus Christ uh, who healed uh, ten lepers, but only one returned to say thank you. Okay, But thankfulness is so important for a believer in Jesus Christ. Thankfulness, as Alexander McLaren, commentator, says, thankfulness knits us to Jesus with a blessed bond. Nothing is so sweet to a loving heart as to pour itself out in thanks to him. In other words, thankfulness should be natural uh, for a believer, that we should be thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that should be our heart. That should be our mindset. But when we think about this, when we think about this story here in the book of Luke chapter 17, we know Jesus performed many miracles, and it was at this time that Jesus was kind of winding up his earthly ministry. If you look in the book of Luke in the next chapters, eventually he gets to Jericho and eventually he gets to Jerusalem. And that's, of course, where he suffered and died for us. So this is probably in the last several months of Jesus' life on earth before he went to the cross as we see this. It says again in verse 11, And it came to pass as Jesus, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So uh, it's kind of an interesting order here, because if you know anything about the geography of the Bible lands, uh, that Samaria and Galilee, you don't go to Jerusalem by going to Samaria and then Galilee. You're going north when, Gal when Jerusalem is south. You kind of go the opposite direction. 
But if you compare the scriptures and compare it, you'll see that Jesus kind of just made a, a little circle, if you will, kind of avoid his, his attackers. You had the, the uh, Pharisees that definitely wanted him, and then even some of the Galilee, that wa- Herod, that wanted him up there as well. So nonetheless, he's being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, and as, as he travels there. But as he comes, he comes to a certain village. doesn't mention which village. Uh, that's not as important, but the fact is, is what happened there is important. The fact that ten lepers were there. They stood afar off. They lifted up their voices. Master, Jesus, have mercy on us. We know that Jesus healed them. What a wonderful uh, place. I think, I don't know about you, but place yourself, put yourselves in the sandals of those uh, in those times and seeing the work of Christ done. I think it would be absolutely amazing to see Jesus' miracles performed. And I think that kind of gets to the point of what we're going to talk about here. But here's the thing. When we compare the ten lepers here to the the nine, I should say, to the one Samaritan. All of them were healed. All of them were cleansed. But what made the difference with that Samaritan? And I think this is a question we need to start out with before we really dig into this passage is this. Do we recognize our own spiritual condition before God? In a sense, maybe we are spiritual lepers, if you will. We'll talk about that more in a moment. It is one thing to compare ourselves spiritually with other people. Well, I'm a better Christian than that person because why? I go to church more often, I give, I, I sing louder. You know, whatever you want to say, we kind of compare ourselves. And that's kind of a natural thing that we do as, as human beings. We, it's easy to compare ourselves to other people. And in a sense, we kind of feel better of ourselves because we're, I'm more spiritual. I'm more right. God would bless me more than someone else because of that. But I think here's another thing. It's one thing to compare ourselves with others, but it's another thing to see ourselves compared to the light of God's holiness. When we see ourselves as spiritual compared to the holiness of God, wow, it really puts things into perspective. Our true spiritual condition, that we are in desperate need of a Savior. This is what it amounts to. But the thing is this, when you come to Jesus Christ by faith, grace, our lives are forever changed. My challenge to you today as we think about this, if God has changed your life, are you eternally grateful? If God has changed your life, and I pray he has, is, are you eternally grateful? This is the, the, heart, the, the, the message that we have today, eternally thankful or grateful, having this heart of gratitude. We're going to look at three things that are important here to this text. We're going to first of all see the leper's condition. We will look at the Samaritan's response, and then we will look at the Savior's question here at the end. So kind of very basic, but straightforward. But I think this is important as we look here at this passage. We see here the leper's condition. Again, we mentioned here in verse 10 that these men were were lepers. Now, these men here, these 10 lepers, they were isolated from society. You know, you talk about social distancing. Well, if you were a leper, you definitely did that. It was ordered, okay? And uh, I don't know if they had to wear a mask or anything else like that, but they had to keep themselves away from everyone else uh, for, for the, the health of everyone else. Now, this was according to the law of Moses. In the book of Leviticus 13, 14, and 15, in, the, in this section here, uh, God, through Moses, God gives Moses the laws concerning the lepers. Now, the book of Leviticus is probably not a book that we naturally go to and we read unless we're trying to get ourselves to sleep at night. And it's just one of those books that's kind of, for a lot of people is intimidating. But I think it's a blessed book because according to the Mosaic law, that if you were a leper, if you had leprosy, you had to basically be outside the camp, outside the city, outside the community. 
And as you were there, you had to wait your, your time, basically. And, if, and um, if, by all means, if things would heal, then you would go and show yourselves to the priest. The priests were kind of the health inspectors of the time, so to speak. And uh, that's how someone would be declared clean. There are actually a few cases in the Old Testament where we find about leprosy. Uh, the first one we notice is of Miriam, the sister of Moses. When her and Aaron basically rebelled or challenged Moses' authority, uh, even though they were it called a sibling rivalry, but nonetheless, uh, she came down with leprosy. She had to wait outside the camp for seven days, and then she was cleaned after that. Uh, probably another more familiar story to us would be of, of that Syrian general named Naaman, who had, remember that Jewish girl that was a servant, and remember he came down with leprosy, goes to the prophet Elisha for healing, and uh, he is healed. Does anyone remember where he was healed? What location? The Jordan River, okay? He, remember, he was complaining, aren't there cleaner and better rivers, you know, where he was from? And no, he did that, and so he was clean from that. Another person that in the Old Testament that came down with leprosy was a king. He was Uzzah, uh, who came down with, remember, he goes into the, the temple when he wasn't supposed to. He comes down from leprosy, and then he had to live in a, in a separate house uh, the remainder of his years. So kind of an interesting, uh, interesting story. But nonetheless, uh, leprosy in this day was a very, uh, very contagious. There was a lot, of course, unknowns about it. And so for the safety of everyone, including the leprous colony, they, were, they had to uh, basically be separated. I tell you what, one of my favorite movies of all time is Ben-Hur. How many of you have ever seen Ben-Hur? All right, ever imagine yourself in the chariot race, okay? But Ben-Hur is was, it's actually a novel, it's, it's fiction, but it was written by, does anyone remember who wrote it? Who wrote Ben-Hur? You can, don't Google it, okay, you can do that later. <laughs> all right, was it uh, uh, Lou, or Wallace, okay, who wrote that? And uh, it was basically, the story was about Ben-Hur, but it was also a story, a fictional story, also of the work of Jesus Christ. Even in the movie that, of course, Charlton Heston's involved in it, uh, you, you notice that there's a backdrop. It's, he's never fully seen, but it's actually the presence of Jesus that's there. Okay? But does anyone remember Ben-Hur? Okay? Judah Ben-Hur, he gets on his, remember, uh, his, uh, uh, his sister's. Uh, basically disrupted some tiles. It caused the death of a, a Roman, uh, Roman uh, soldier. And, of course, they are taken, they are put away uh, eventually. Or actually, he's put on a galley, okay, and he basically comes back eventually. Big story. I won't tell the whole story of Ben Hur. You can watch the movie or read the book later, okay? But nonetheless, what happens, though? He comes back, and where does he find his sisters? What happens to Ben Hur's sisters in the book? They are in what? Leper colony, Okay. And uh, through all the, the trials that are going on there, what at the very, towards the end of the movie, what happens to them? How do they get, do they ever get healed again? Nod your head, yes. Okay, spoiler alert. Okay. But what happens? It's they actually go to the cross. And it was Jesus' death on the cross in his blood that through that and their belief on Jesus that they were healed from their leprosy. Now, did that actually happen again? The story Ben Hur is fiction. But did things like that happen? Absolutely. We know that when Jesus was uh, died on the cross, there was actually several things happened. There was actually graves that opened, and people, the dead were raised, and they were walking around the city. So things like that definitely could have happened. We don't know the exact detail. But nonetheless, Jesus came 
to heal. And we know that some of the people that he healed were indeed lepers. We find other lepers that were healed, such as in, in Matthew chapter 8, for example. And there, in that instance, Jesus then, with compassion, comparing Mark and Matthew's Gospels, Jesus touches them and they are healed. Now, who would touch a leper in those days? The only person that could and still be clean was none other than the Messiah. And here we have just a slightly different story. Here we are meeting ten lepers, and instead of touching them, what does Jesus do? He basically says here in verse, uh, look at me, verse uh, 13. It says here, and they lift the lepers, they lift up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when they saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus, in this case, he didn't heal them by touching them. Rather, he healed them from a distance. He spoke the words. And there was many cases, other stories in the Bible, that Jesus did exactly that. But I want us to talk a little bit more about these lepers today, the ten lepers that we see here. I like what Matthew Henry, commentator, says about kind of looking at their leprosy as they were shunned, isolated from the community because of their dreaded disease. I want us to also think as well about this, that in a sense, because of our sin, and if we really understood the severity of our sin, how it separates us from a holy God, that we have no access in our own strength and in our own works and our own wisdom into God's presence. I like what Matthew Henry says concerning this. He says this, a sense of our spiritual leprosy should make us very humble in all our approaches to Christ. Who we are, that we should draw near to him that is infinitely pure because we are impure. Think of this, in a sense, each and every one of us, as Matthew Henry says, and I agree, each and every one, in our sinful condition, we are spiritual lepers. There is everything we are. We are unclean. Remember this. What were the lepers supposed to do as they were in their communities? If anyone of the, other, of the community comes their way, what are they supposed to yell? Unclean. Get away from me. Beware. All right? They were a, a warning sign, okay? And so this is very important in this day. And this is the same thing. In a sense, we are also spiritual lepers. We are unclean in our sins that have separated us from a holy God. And folks, don't minimize our sin. When we think of our sins, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I just do little sins, a little lie, a little stealing, a little, guess what? In God's eyes, it's a transgression against him. It's a sin against him. And the thing is this, each and every one of us are separated from God because of our sin. And we desperately need a Savior to rescue us from our sin. This is where Jesus Christ comes in. We see these lepers as well, these ten lepers, they cried for the master's mercy. In verse 13 it says, again, master, have mercy on us. It's interesting that they didn't cry out, Jesus, master, heal us from our leprosy. They simply said, Lord, have mercy on us. Give, let the shadow of your grace be upon us. But I think implied, obviously, what were they really wanting? They were wanting Jesus' touch upon them. And the Lord blessed them with that. Go your show yourselves in the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. And so, how were they cleansed? They were cleansed simply by obeying the Savior's command. Okay? I mentioned earlier that Jesus healed in a variety of ways. His, some, he again, he touched. Others, he spoke from a distance. Okay? Um, we know others, he put, like the blind man, put clay on the eyes. Okay? And then go wash in the pool of Siloam. So, Jesus healed in various ways. And this, I believe, shows his wisdom. 
in how he, how he did his ministry. Uh, like I said, in, he healed a leper by touching in, in Matthew 8, and now he heals from a distance. But also, I think this is something really amazing. A lot of times when we read the, the Bible accounts of Jesus' miracles, that Jesus often healed individuals. One-on-one was the main way he healed. But in this case, how does Jesus heal? And I, I don't think I really saw this until I read over it this week. Jesus healed 10 at a time. Think about that. He healed a group all at once. What does this show us? I believe this shows us his power. The power of Christ in his miraculous works, not limited just to one-on-one. He healed a group together. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? Jesus has all power to heal. I think this is absolutely a blessing. Let me just say this. It says here, go show yourselves to the priests. And, as they, and of course, that was exactly how they're supposed to do it according to the Mosaic law. And as they came to pass, they went and they were cleansed. So again, as they go, all of a sudden they're walking, they're noticing their, their, their hands, their feet, their face, everything that was infected by leprosy was cleansed, was healed. So these men were, were changed. They were changed, exactly. The thing is this, when Jesus touches a life today, and I pray he's touched your life, I pray each and every one of us have a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus has died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel, folks. You believe that you trust in him for what he's done for you. He's changed your life. So here's the point. If God has changed your life, are you eternally thankful? That's the challenge today. If if God has changed your life, are you eternally thankful? So with that, we see this. This is amazing. Now, let me just say one quick thing here in verse 14. When Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest, again, that was commanded even back during the law of Moses, okay? Jesus here is a fulfillment of that. Can you imagine that, that priest uh, there in Jesus' time, and all of a sudden here's these, these group of men coming to him and said, hey, I thought you guys were over there in that, you know, back behind the woods type place, you know? And all of a sudden here they come and they're healed, and they have to be inspected in order to be declared healed. You see here that Jesus fulfilled that through, uh, through this miracle, okay? But here's another thing I want us to point out here. We see that the lepers, these ten lepers, they went, but one decided to stop and turn around. Keep in mind, every single one of those were healed, but what made the difference? Look with me in verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Amazing. He noticed a difference, and so what does he do? He turns around, and he goes back. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. He was so joyous about that that he, it says here, he lifted up a loud voice to glorify God, to thank God. And as he fell down, verse 16, he on his face, uh, his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So here's the, kind of the biggest point of this passage right here, these verses, is that this man, he simply recognized the source of the miracle. I think all those men wanted, yes, they wanted to be healed from that dreaded disease. But here was a man who noticed, wait a minute, I'm healed, but guess what? I I can't stop without really recognizing who did this work. He turns around and he turns to Jesus. He falls down and he worships him, okay? So the Samaritan leper, his thankfulness, recognized the power of Jesus. Jesus had the power again to heal 10 at a time. Amazing as you think about that. And he, he recognized here the power of Jesus. I think so often, and when you look at the comparison between the other, other nine and this Samaritan man, so often we focus on the blessing rather than the blesser. So many times we do that. 
We focus on the blessing. We, we pray for answer prayer. Maybe some of you have been praying for a long time, uh, maybe for a certain need or, uh, for, or for a certain individual, and you pray. But when God finally answers that prayer, at least in our perception, when he answers that prayer, what do we normally do? We say, oh, that's great, and we move on. What do we often fail to do is recognize the source of answered prayer. Is God who does it. I think this is when we come to this time of Thanksgiving that we should be challenged to do every day is recognize, and as the doxology says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This is time to praise God, to thank God for what he has so greatly done in our lives. We need to focus on the, uh, not on, just on the blessing, but on the blesser himself. I like what Dr. Warren Worsby said. So often we are quick to pray, but slow to praise. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but that hits me right between the eyes. So often we are quick to pray, God help me, God heal me, God deliver me, but we're slow to praise him. When we see God's work in our lives, I challenge you to praise God, to thank God for that. Uh, one thing we do, especially on uh, Sunday nights, and, and Wednesdays we do this too, we do works of God testimonies. What has God done in your life you just want to give him thanks and glory for? Every day for us is a day of thanksgiving to God. From him, all riches and blessings abundantly flow to us as his children. And so, yes, we should pray, absolutely. God delights to hear the prayers of his children. But we also must accompany that prayer with praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has so richly done in our lives. As we think about this, what exactly is thanksgiving then? In verse 16, it says, again, this Samaritan man, he fell down at his face, giving him thanks. As we see about it, what is thanksgiving? We see from this verse here that thanksgiving is really an act of worship. Thanksgiving is really an act of worship. How do we worship God? Yes, by singing, by praying, by listening, by reading the Bible. We, we do all those things in worship. But also we, we think this, thankfulness, to be thankful is an act of worship. And I believe that this, Thanksgiving is shown through our worship. You know, sometimes, uh, I think sometimes in our flesh, maybe we're having a, a bad day. Maybe we're just simply tired, we're worn out, whatever. We come to church or you come to your devotion time, whatever it may be. You're spending, coming to spend time with God. And so many times what happens, we, we just kind of like, God, thank you for the day, thank you for the food. I mean, there's no joy in that. We struggle sometimes, don't we? And that's simply because sometimes just in the flesh. But like, like I said, this is really an act of worship. When we think of this, giving thanks to God. When we come, I pray that we sing from our hearts. We pray with our entire being. We give with joy. We listen to the word of God with anticipation for what he has for us. We obey him. We serve him together. We pray together. We do all this as a heart, with a heart of thanks. Now, yes, you can do that at your home and your private devotions. But when we come here as a church, uh, as a church family, we come together. We pray together. We sing together. We give together. We glorify God together and we give him thanks together. This is what we are doing here at, at, at Victory Baptist Church. We come here to say, thank you, God. Every Sunday we come, and it's important that you be here. Why? Because we come to say, thank you, God, for what you have done. Let us give our voice of thanks to him. Let us be eternally thankful. 
You see, but what is the key to thankfulness? This is something I think we see here in this verse that I think sometimes we often overlook. What is the key to thankfulness? How can someone be truly thankful? And I think the key here is humility. How do we know that? Because in verse 16, how did the Samaritan, this leper, come back to Jesus? He, how does he approach him? He glorified God and he fell down on his face at his feet. That's humility. So the key to thankfulness is humility. By understanding who we really are, our true condition. That yes, we're not better. We're not, we're not equal with Jesus. No. If anything, we are his servants. We are before him. We need him. We desperately need him. And as we come to him with humble hearts, we are thankful to God. A, a thankful person. It's hard to be thankful when you think you're better than someone else. Someone gives you a gift, maybe a birthday card or whatever. You say thank you. But then your heart is saying, well... I do better. I have a more important job than that person. I make a better salary than that guy. We think of all these things. We think ourselves better as that. But what is the true idea of thankfulness? It's basically by saying this, that we are simply humble servants. We are sinners saved by grace. For that, we should be thankful. And in that, what happens? Thankfulness then glorifies God. Thankfulness, our giving thanks to God, glorifies him abundantly. This is what he does. With a loud voice, he glorified God by humbly giving him thanks. So this is the most important thing. Now, I think something else that we should point out here, and I haven't mentioned already, but I think you probably know. Luke says all these things about this man turning back, giving a loud voice, glorifying God, humbly giving thanks. And by the way, this guy is a Samaritan. <laughs> Luke kind of does this order on purpose. It's almost for shock value. Okay, Of all the people that should have come back and given thanks... We assume from this passage here that the other nine were your regular Jewish people who at least had some upbringing in the, in the Torah, had some upbringing in the law, had some idea with the traditions, at least in the customs, the feast of Israel, for sure. But the person you would least expect it from turns back and comes, and he was the Samaritan. It's interesting. He was ostracized because of his leprosy, but he was also ostracized simply because he was a Samaritan. And in this group of ten men... Misery loves company. Okay, we're all in this together. Why don't you come and join us? But he was still kind of the oddball out, if you will. As we see here, he was the Samaritan. So think of this. And doesn't it surprise you that the people you least expect to be thankful are the most thankful? And I pray that we would be one of those people. That we people that, man, I never thought this person would be that thankful. But you know, when you think of this, God has done amazing things. And every part of our lives should reflect our thankfulness to God. So you know what, when we come again to our church or when we come to our devotion time or family time, whatever it may be, I, I have to ask us this question. I ask myself this. Are we simply just going through the motions of our worship, of our church schedule? Yes, we have a certain order, kind of a guideline at least to go by, and we sing a few songs, we give the announcements, we take up the offering, we hear the preaching, we sing a closing hymn, and we leave, okay, and whatever service we do. But my challenge is this, are we just going through the motions? I think, I think as this is the problem. I think there's so many Christians today, so many churches today, and they're simply just going through the motions. They're just going through their religious checkoff list for the week. Yes, I went to church for the week. Yes, I did this for the week. And you know what? Really, that's not a heart of thankfulness. I pray that when we come, that our hearts would be prepared. I pray that as you prepare for your Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, whatever time, special events that we have here, come with a heart of prayer, praying and giving thanks to God, praying for one another, serving one another. 
and that Christ would keep us unified in the bond of peace as we give him thanks for the great things he has done for us. So my question is this, as it was for these ten men, for these nine who were cleansed and went their way to the priest, and by the way, can't fault them. They did what they were supposed to do. Okay, can't fault him for that, but there was one man that stood out, that Samaritan, who came back to say thank you to our Lord. But here's the thing, as we look upon these men, ask yourself this question, if God has changed your life, are you eternally thankful? This is a question for each and every one of us. That leads us now to the Savior's question. The Savior's question in verse 17. Jesus, answering to the Samaritan, said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. As you see this here, Jesus here notices the heart of the others, the nine. And yes, while they were obedient to the command of Jesus, I believe this, and other commentators kind of mention something similar, that these men were more focused on renewing their lives. In other words, to continue as they were before. Get back into society. See their loved ones. Get, maybe get their old job back. Eat their favorite foods again at their favorite restaurant. Whatever it may be, they were looking for everything to get back to normal, if you will. Jesus, those, like I said, notices the, the heart of the nine. While they were obedient, I believe they were focusing on their, just renewing their lives to continue as before. Here's another thing that we should not overlook. The nine were made whole by the power of Christ. They were healed. We believe that. They were cleansed. In their compassion to their distress and answering to their prayer, Jesus heard their prayer, and he answered. I believe he actually went above and beyond. They just cried for mercy, and he healed them from their leprosy. But the Samaritan, this is the difference. The Samaritan was made whole by his faith, which by Christ saw him distinguished from the rest. I like what Matthew Henry says concerning this, that temporal, temporary mercies are then doubled and sweetened to us when they are received by the prayers of faith and returned by the praises of faith. I like that. I'm going to read it a little slower because I, I want us to catch this. When you think about the and these men received temporary mercy. Now, could they ever get sick again? Absolutely. Okay? They're still living in that fallen world. But these are mercies that God gave to them. They're doubled and sweetened to us. This is what Matthew Henry says. When they are received, when God receives our prayers by faith, and then we return this to God by praises of faith. Did you think about this? That as we live our lives, we live by faith and not by sight, right? As we live by faith, yes, we should pray with prayers of faith that God would indeed heal us, help us, direct us, guide us, whatever your prayer request may be. But when that ha happens, be ready to return praises of faith to him. God, we praise you. We thank you for what you have done for us. You see here, the Samaritan's life was changed for eternity. Look with me in verse 19. And Jesus said unto him, the Samaritan, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. As you look at this, his life was changed for eternity. Jesus commands him to go as well. He's probably going to catch up with his buddies. He still has to go to the priest. He has to do a ceremony what they had to do during that time. But as he goes, what does Jesus say to them? Thy faith hath made thee whole. And basically, the, the, the Greek word for whole there has the idea of really to be saved, to be delivered. This is more than just, you're not just clean from your leprosy, your soul has been healed as well. You are cleaned, you are healed completely inside and out. And that's the power of Jesus Christ right there. 
And as the Samaritan's life was changed for eternity, if God has changed your life, are you eternally thankful? The Samaritan definitely wouldn't. By the way, I look forward to the time we see him in heaven and ask, hey, tell me about the time you turned back and met Jesus and gave him thanks. Tell me about that time. What an amazing story. And hear it firsthand from him. But the fact is here that Luke here highlights the Samaritan's gratitude. This, I think a couple things. Let's take a couple notes from this, from this passage. The fact that Luke highlights the Samaritan's thankfulness and gratitude illustrates that God changes the lives of those we least expect could be changed. Have you ever wondered that or thought about that? Man, there's a lot of people you wonder and say, man, that person's a lost cause. God could never save that person. Then you, you come to find out sometime later, my word, God worked in that person's life, and here they are, a new creature in Christ. I mean, you can't explain it. That's only of the, of the work of God. There's story after story. Um, I'm thankful for my brother who uh, went through Teen Challenge after being addicted to, to meth for 14 years. And yes, he was a believer going in, but I saw the transformation in my brother's life through that program, and more so by the power of God and the working of the Holy Spirit in his life, and brings him up, and you just think, my brother, man, a long time ago, people would have given up on him. But you know what? God never forgot him. He worked in his life, and here he is now serving the Lord with his family. Man, only the power of God can do that. Praise God for that. Going back to this this miracle of Jesus here, this story also illustrates, I believe, that those who should have recognized Jesus, talking about the religious group, chose not to accept him. And I think that's kind of the comparison. When you see these, these nine lepers, they were cleansed, they went back, but did they ever go back? Did they ever find Jesus? Again, the scriptures never record that, but in a sense, this is a very good picture of what life was like. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. A lot of people came to Jesus simply to see his miracles. We have great stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. But we see here after a while that many people, they simply left him because the miracles, they just, they were there. Even Herod, remember Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, when he was uh, trying Jesus before Jesus goes to the cross. He simply wants to see Jesus do a miracle. Show me a trick. Was, even if Jesus did that, was that going to change Herod's heart? No. He was just looking for entertainment, for a thrill, if you will. And a lot of people, I think people try Christianity out. Maybe for tradition, or maybe for that thrill, to get some feeling out of it, whatever they want to call it. But the thing is this, they never have encountered the true and risen Jesus Christ that can change their lives forever. Again, too many Christians are simply going through the motions of what Christian life is supposed to be like. God desires those that will humbly come to him that are changed and give him thanks for what he has done. Again, many have recognized Jesus. They should have recognized Jesus, but they chose not to accept him. You know, back in Luke's gospel, actually, I want us to turn there because this is important. Luke chapter 4. Go back a few chapters. Luke chapter 4. Jesus here, this is towards the beginning of his ministry, he comes back to Nazareth, the town that he grew up in. And as he comes, he goes to the synagogue. And he comes and he is given the book of Isaiah. And there uh, he reads it. And so he says here in verse, uh, let's start reading verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day is scripture fulfilled in your ears. Wow, this was a shocking moment as Jesus read this scripture that spoke directly about him and about his ministry and what he would come to do. But anyways, what was their reaction to that? Look at me in verse 24 now. He says there, And he said, Verily I say unto you that no prophet has accepted his own country. But I tell you of a truth that many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Serapita, the city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. In verse 27, look carefully. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And what was the reaction to that? As they come, this is the point. Elijah and Elisha, they ministered to all of Israel. But yet, who did God speak to and who did God heal? It was those that were considered strangers, the outcasts, the, one, the people that weren't from us, such as Naaman, such as that widow. As you think about that, what was their reaction? Verse 28, and all they, all they in the synagogue, when they were heard these things, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill there, thereon, whereon their city was built, they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. In other words, they were exactly those. They were, when they should have realized who this person was, Jesus as the Messiah, they rejected him. This is what you see over and over. And I think this miracle in Luke, in Luke 17, highlights that. That there was many that Jesus healed, that he preached and spoke to, but very few actually turned to him and gave him thanks and were changed eternally. Here's the point of this passage, I believe. The fact is that every person has a condition that is even worse than leprosy. It is our sin, our hideous sin, that separates us from a holy God. We are unclean in our condition. We cannot enter into the presence of God. But we see here that Jesus was despised and rejected of men, just like the lepers were. He bore our sins and carried our sorrows. Jesus here was that Lamb of God who died for us to take our sins away. And more than anything, Jesus does want to heal us, but more than just heal us, and as he did that, he wants to save us from our sin. That's the bigger miracle in this passage here. So my question is this, what is your reaction to his saving power in your life? If your life has been changed, are you eternally thankful? I remember there was a man in our church in Tennessee, his name is Brother Fletcher. He also was an army vet, served in the military for several years. And uh, in church, whenever we would have a testimony time or, or anything, he would always begin his testimony by saying this, I thank God for his mercy and grace. He always would start his testimony with thanksgiving to God. And that was, his, if you know this guy, you know how he lived, where he lived, I tell you what, most of the time when I visit him, you would think twice about setting, setting foot in the door because you didn't know if a gun would go off type of thing. It was just like that. Okay, it was just a crazy place. But this guy had a heart for the Lord. He was thankful for what God had done for his mercy and grace. I think of Brother Fletcher, and even though you wouldn't probably pick him out of the crowd as being one who is loved by the Lord, 
He loves God with all his heart, soul, and mind. For that, he gives him thanks. The thing is this, if God has changed your life, are you eternally grateful? Are you eternally thankful? When I was a small child, I was uh, at Solid Rock Bible Camp up in northern Minnesota, Cushing, Minnesota. And it was there that I heard the, the message of salvation. Uh, Harvey Swenson was the, the preacher there. He, was, he ran the camp for many, many years. And I understood, though, even as a young child, that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior, and only Jesus Christ could forgive me of my sin. I remember going forward when that invitation was given in that camp service. I remember exactly, I could point exactly where that, of course the chapel's been torn down now, but I, years ago I could have pointed to that moment, that place where that happened. And that's where Jesus changed my life, and I accepted him as my Savior for my sin. And guess what? I am eternally thankful for what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I don't know about you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sin? Do you know for sure that if you die today, that you would be in the presence of the Lord? Are your sins forgiven? Are you on your way to heaven? I pray if God has done that, you should be eternally thankful.